Diesel used to be the good guy, the environmentally friendly option. But was this just advertising? Only reading out the data they wanted you to hear? Today there are calls for the same diesel cars to be banned, especially in urban areas. It's not just Volkswagens cheating on their emission tests. Diesel clearly creates pollution that is bad for human health. But will our diesel cars really kill us sooner than the ones that run on petrol? What's all the fuss that now puts diesel squarely on the chopping list? Episode 6. Diesel. It's obvious that the days of the internal combustion engine are numbered. Just last month, both France and the UK government pledged to end the sale of all vehicles running on petrol and diesel by 2040. This is not just to protect the environment, it also aims to protect human life. More lives are lost every year due to the noxious chemicals created by vehicles than are caused by car accidents. Most of these deaths are caused by lung problems, especially in vulnerable people who already have lung problems, but even in otherwise healthy people, and even at low levels well below the commonly accepted thresholds for panic, there are some serious issues in the air. The closer we live or work to major roads, the greater our risks of heart problems, stroke, dementia, some kinds of cancer, and even reduced fertility as a result of our exposure to exhaust fumes. In numerical terms, the effect of eliminating all car exhaust on human survival would be greater than curing melanoma. The problem is that most engines work by igniting fuel in the presence of air, which then power the pistons to move and so move our car along. The fuels we use are usually carbon-based, like petrol, gasoline, diesel, These are also called fossil fuels as they have their origin in the breakdown of tiny organisms that lived typically hundreds of millions of years ago. These fuels are largely made up of hydrogen and carbon, so are often called hydrocarbons. This means that the major gases they create when burnt with oxygen in an engine are things like carbon dioxide, CO2, and water vapour, H2O. You can see that water coming out the exhaust, especially on cold days, and especially when the car first starts up, as the pipes are cold and contain some condensed water that is blown out by the hot exhaust gases after starting, working a bit like a fog machine really. The water vapour is still there in warm weather, but because the air is warm you just don't see it. Although water is not much to worry about, CO2 of course is among the most important greenhouse gases. Rising levels of CO2 in the atmosphere are a major contributor to global warming, which works something like this. Hot things give off infrared radiation, which in turn works to heat anything its radiation comes in contact with. Stand by a fire, stand by a warm body, you can feel their heat on you. Our hot sun's infrared radiation heats up the earth because we're near enough by. The sun-warmed earth then also gives off infrared radiation, but not as much as the sun because it's not as hot. Some of this heat is lost back into the cold night of space 
However, our atmosphere keeps some of it in. This is a bit like a blanket on a bed. Our body, if you like, is hot like the earth and throws off infrared radiation. But without a blanket on a cold night, we lose heat and get cold. Throwing a blanket on stops some of the infrared radiation of our body heat being lost into the night and keeps us cosy and warm on a cold evening. This is also called the greenhouse effect because throwing glass or plastic over a greenhouse also works in the same way, keeping the heat in when it gets cold outside. If the Earth had no atmosphere, it would feel like sleeping naked under the stars instead of being tucked up warm in bed. In fact, our world would be frozen in an eternal winter, just like in the movie, with an average temperature around about minus 18 Celsius or zero degrees Fahrenheit. A snowman might be happy, but we prefer it a little warmer. So we need some greenhouse effect, some blankets on our bed, but not too many. Too many blankets becomes uncomfortable. Carbon emissions released into the atmosphere after coal, gas and oil are burned increase the trapping of infrared radiation. In essence, the Earth is now wrapped up in a really thick double blanket, even in summer. So even though the heat source isn't warming up, it's getting uncomfortably hot in bed. And the greenhouse effect is one of the major reasons why our world has become significantly warmer over the last century. Many things emit greenhouse gases. About a quarter of all greenhouse emissions come from cars and trucks, chiefly as CO2. Consequently, to slow the rise in CO2 levels in our atmosphere, the plan has been to target cars and trucks and the fossil fuels they burn. In the absence of a viable alternative, it was noticed that diesel fuel, when it was burnt, was far more efficient than standard gasoline. In other words, for the same number of miles driven, less diesel would be burnt than petrol, and about a third less CO2 would be released per mile. Consequently, buying a diesel meant less global warming. It was even part of the famous Kyoto Protocol. And on the back of this green promotion, diesels have surged in popularity over the past decade. In addition, because burning diesel can generate more energy per litre than petrol, it also gives them more pulling power at low speed, hence their dominance in haulage and industry. And this grunty attribute is often said to be the essential part of a real SUV or utility. The problem, however, is that exhaust pipes on cars and trucks spew out all sorts of other things apart from water and CO2. And this is where the problems really begin. In particular, exhaust fumes contain a range of toxic chemicals and generate fine particles, most of which are odourless and invisible. They only look like smog when they react with sunlight or other chemicals in the atmosphere. The chief concern to our health are the fine particles that come out with exhaust. And these are obviously known as particulate matter, or PM for short. Particulate matter is essentially partially burnt fuel, or soot if you like. There are always all sorts of particles in the air we breathe, but the big particles get efficiently trapped by our nose and mouth and throat. Sometimes this can cause allergies or tickle our throat, so make us cough or sneeze, but they don't usually get much further, so don't cause much damage to our lungs or our health. Some particles are much smaller, and the important ones are the really fine particles, 
less than 2.5 microns in diameter, also known as PM 2.5. This means they're effectively thinner than a single silky strand on a spider's web. And this small size makes them especially dangerous, as it allows them to bypass our defences and penetrate deep into our lungs along with the oxygen we breathe. And once in our lungs, they can act like a splinter, triggering an inflammatory reaction or kindling one that's already going on. Some fine airborne particles can also act as transporters for hitchhiking toxins, chemicals and metals. Ultrafine particles are over 20 times smaller than a strand in a spider's web. And these ultrafine ones can go even further, cross our lungs and even enter our bloodstream like oxygen. If you've got inflammation going on, there's always the potential for collateral damage. So being exposed to particulate matter, the small guys, increases the risk of lung diseases as well as things like lung cancer. Inflammation in the lungs can also kindle inflammatory processes elsewhere, such as those associated with heart disease and dementia. Consequently, the fine particles in the air we breathe, i.e. the quality of our air, is strongly associated with our health, and in particular, that of our lungs and our circulation. One example is lung cancer. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death worldwide. We all know that smoking causes lung cancer. However, the concentration of fine particles in the air we breathe is strongly associated with our risk of lung cancer, even if we never smoke. Fine particles in the air can come from many sources, including natural ones like dust and fires, but the main source of exposure to poor quality air for many city dwellers is traffic pollution and the chemical reactions set off in the atmosphere as their byproduct. Consequently, our particulate matter exposure is largely determined by how close we live to traffic and industrial sites, as well as the prevailing wind and climate conditions that serve to either concentrate or dissipate exhaust emissions. As diesel engines generally make more particulate matter than standard petrol ones, this largely explains why diesel fumes are associated with things like lung cancer and why the WHO have called diesel a class 1 carcinogen because they make more fine particles that get into our lungs. We all remember those old diesels that we used to see, nightmarish visions of acrid black smoke spewing out the exhaust. These fumes largely explain the association. Yet today, the particulate matter emission standards for a new petrol or a new diesel car are actually quite similar, as they should be. This has largely been achieved by particle filters, which filter out at least 80% of the particles, and so reduce the amount ending up in the exhaust and in our lungs. At least, this is how they should work, and work in the showroom. When they're sold to us, they may be less polluting than your average petrol car, However, the big problem is what happens in the real world, where the filters tend to get clogged. It's possible to give them a clean every tank or so by a period of prolonged, fast driving like on a freeway to kind of flush out the filters. But if we drive more slowly, and mostly in built-up areas like on short urban trips between home, work and the shops, this means less heat, more soot and no blowout. So the filters soon stop working. Even with the occasional speed to clean out our filters, the filters still ultimately get clogged with engine gunk. 
and if we don't remember to get them changed as often as we should, or don't bother because it costs money and the car seems to be working just fine, they don't work very well, if at all. Actually, taking off the filters improves fuel efficiency and saves you money, but whether you live long enough to spend it is another thing. Importantly, any older or poorly maintained diesel trucks and cars have no such filter protection and remain as toxic as ever. And this is why places like Paris have plans to ban older diesels from as soon as 2020. In Asia, all those two-stroke diesel scooters you see zooming about also don't have filters and can emit more toxic particles per litre than many heavy trucks. Burning fuel in an engine also produces nitrogen oxides. Unlike particulate matter, this doesn't come directly from the fuel, but rather from the air that is superheated inside our engines alongside it. The air we breathe and the air our car breathes is mostly nitrogen and oxygen. But if the two are superheated together in a combustion engine, they can sort of fuse together forming nitrogen oxides. These toxic gases are invisible, too small to be filtered out, so can easily get into our lungs with oxygen, where they can aggravate heart and lung conditions. Nitrogen oxides from exhaust fumes also help to create bad ozone. We normally think about ozone as the good guy, floating around there 14 miles up in the ozone layer of our stratosphere, where it works something like a sunscreen, protecting the Earth against the harmful effects of sunlight and ultraviolet radiation. But at ground level, where it's not supposed to be, ozone has a dark side, especially at the contact points of our skin and our lungs. This bad ozone is created when vehicle and industrial emissions like nitrogen dioxide and volatile hydrocarbons react together with sunlight and oxygen in the troposphere. In other words, the part of the world where we live and breathe. Ground level or bad ozone levels are highest in the summer smog of industrial cities like LA and Beijing. The problem with ozone is that it's highly reactive, which is why it forms such a good protection against ultraviolet light in the upper atmosphere. But when it gets onto our skin or into our lungs, it can react with surface fats to trigger inflammation and injury. The same sort of thing happens when we inhale cigarette smoke, and you know how that turns out. A big issue for human health is that surface ozone is increasing. But because diesel has a higher ratio of air to fuel than standard petrol, and a higher temperature, more nitrogen oxides are made as a result, sometimes a lot more and far higher than the acceptable limit. For example, the VW diesels that were cheating on their emissions test were in fact emitting 15 to 30 times the recommended level of nitrogen oxides. In London, diesel road traffic is responsible for about 40% of all nitrogen oxide emissions. Across the world, it's probably more like half of all nitrogen oxide emissions come from diesel. In a petrol car, nitrogen oxides are generated, but they're cleaned up by a three-way catalytic converter. Modern diesel engines can also clean up their act, using technologies, for example, to return a portion of the exhaust gas into the engine's air intake. Another way is to use catalysts to convert the remaining nitrogen oxide into harmless nitrogen and water. Mercedes also uses a nitrogen oxide absorbent. All of these technologies can work, but they are also prone to get clogged 
and need frequent maintenance and replacement. They also reduce fuel economy, which was probably the main reason you bought a diesel car in the first place. Overall, even with modern technologies in place, real-world nitrogen oxide emissions from a diesel are still likely to be higher than from a petrol engine, even with the newest diesels. The bottom line is that change is also in the air. As with smoking, the greatest driver of change is public opinion and social acceptability. Today we recoil in horror from a fuming exhaust pipe on an old car or a factory spilling black smoke, much as we would if a smoker lit up beside us. We now seriously think about the greenness of a product, its energy rating and environmental impact. It is also clear that even the latest diesel vehicles will emit more nitrogen oxides, more particulates than petrol vehicles, meaning that diesel cars in the real world are more polluting overall than their petrol equivalents. As smoke is bad for smokers, pollution is similarly bad for everyone who breathes. Just as they label cigarettes and alcohol, maybe gas stations should display health warnings. Warning, using this fuel will kill people. But the difference really is that you can stop smoking. You could stop drinking today. But can you really get rid of the internal combustion engine like they plan to do in Europe? Even if cars were to become all electrical, where will all this electricity come from to power these electric cars? The grid could never cope. What about the environmental footprint of the precious metals needed to make expensive and notoriously short-lived batteries and ultimately for their disposal? It's not a simple balance, but it is a matter of life and death. For more information about diesel and other things that you can do for your longevity, please read The Longevity List by Merlin Thomas, published by Exile Press, available from all good bookstores and from exilepublishing.com. Thank you for listening.